Welcome to Counter Stories, a program by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments or opinions that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner of Dendros Group and Pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group. And I guess now I have to say I'm Vice President of Programming at Ampers. Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Get that work. Get Thank that you. work. <laughs> We're so proud of you and your journey, Hali, um, and know that you will excel in this role as you have in all of your previous ventures leading up to this. Um, so we are filled with joy and pride um, with this new endeavor that you're embarking on. So thank you for your leadership in, in that. Oh, thank you, Luz. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. Thank you. And we have a very special guest today. Today, we are continuing our series on education. And we have uh, an, a guest that we are really excited to uh, spend some time with today. And I will invite her to, rep to introduce herself. Thank you so much for this opportunity. My name is Selma Hussain. I am currently the principal at Gideon Pond Elementary in Burnsville, Minnesota. I am a mother to two beautiful brown babies, a four-year-old girl and a six-year-old uh, son. My training is in social work. I went through um, the social work programming at the University of Minnesota after attending one information session where they talked about creating a just society. And I feel like education allows me to create a more just society for our young people, for our families, and for our communities. That's fabulous. And I know that uh, with our crew, there will be plenty of discussion about your background. Uh, and I'm looking at Don in particular with his background and, and the impact that uh, the field of social work has in our uh, community, broadly speaking, uh, and of course, across our, our country as well, and the families that you impact. You know, when we think about impact and direction, you know, one of the biggest uh, points that comes to mind as we start this conversation is a quote that um, Marion Wright Edelman, she's a civil rights, uh, noted civil rights um, advocate and, and leader in community at the national level. And her quote is along the lines of uh, children can't see it if they can't dream it. So I think about you walking the hallways as a Somali hijab wearing leader and what that means to the children, to families, uh, and to community. So if you can start there for us in terms of the impact that you've seen thus far and how you will begin to uh, connect with all your students, but more so what it means to our young Somali families seeing you in this incredibly um, powerful role. And I should say, you're the first in our state. Um, and I wonder out loud whether you know if you're the first in the country. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but if you can speak to to that as well, I think our our listeners would be really interested to hear that as well. I appreciate you. And this is a really 
Great question. So I want to start off by just mentioning that I came to Minnesota in 96 from North Carolina. Um, I have a wonderful cousin who sponsored my dad and I to come to America. And she was in North Carolina, so we ended up there. But my mom and sister were already in Minneapolis. So my mom and dad got to talking, and we came to Minnesota, and we've been here ever since. And I went through the education system in Minneapolis public schools, not seeing people that look like me. I started in the second grade, and my teachers are were great people. Uh, they met well, and that lack of representation made me feel like I was less than that success wasn't for me, that I couldn't be successful. And I had internalized this. Even when I went into the University of Minnesota, predominantly white institution, I didn't see instructors that looked like me until I ended up in the School of Social Work where I had one professor, Miss Gibson, um, who was success that looked like me. And after I got my educational degrees and you know uh, credentials, I ended up at South High School in Minneapolis, and I was working with diverse students, and I wanted the kids to be confident, to be amazing, and just to just just own their greatness. And if I'm being honest with you all, I realized at like 27, 26, that I was very anxious, um, and I wasn't showing up confidently. And it wasn't until I had a Central High School grad, uh, Mr. Kasim Abdurazak, who I was working with, African American, phenomenal hey. brother. Yes. Yeah, Brother Kasim. Brother yes. Kasim is the real deal. Brother Kasim told me, Selma. Real one. Real, very real. He said, spend some time unpacking your educational journey. What sort of imprints did it leave in you? And that's when I made the connection that that lack of representation made me internalize that I was less than. And while I wanted the kids at my school to be confident, I was showing up very anxious. Long story short, here I have the opportunity right now at Gideon Pond to walk around the building and tell the kids, hey, auntie, like Javier. And when people hear me call the Somali kids Javier, they're like, is that a name? Are all the kids named Javier? I'm like, no, no, it just means auntie. Like in America, even at my school, we talk mm-hmm. about we're a family and it's taken that mm-hmm. step further and mm-hmm. saying like, this is our native tongue. Uh, and be proud of being multilingual. Mom and dad, growing up, they wanted me to learn English. And then we didn't prioritize Somali. So now as a 30-something-year-old, I'm just beginning mm-hmm. to relearn my mm-hmm. native tongue. And for the kids here at Gideon Pond, I'm mm-hmm. like, auntie, mm-hmm. speaking Somali is a superpower. You're awesome. Yes. Yep. And they get to <laughs> see it. their mom. When they see me, they get to see, you know, Hinda, the first day of school, I got henna done because I knew some of my female students would have henna. And I'm like, look, you look like me and I look like you. Mm, And it just does a lot for them to know that, you know, they matter and that, you know, they don't have to change who they are to be successful and that success is them. And that we as a school need to learn about the culture of our students. We need to see the parents as uh, mattering and as valuable. And if someone doesn't speak English, it doesn't mean that they can't engage in their child's educational learning. It's really has been transformative and I'm able to heal as I show up every day interacting with the kiddos. Like the second grader, Salma, would have loved to see Salma today and have someone who walks the halls and say, Salam alaikum. Um, sharing greetings of peace, may peace be with you. And then that invites my non-Somali kiddos 
They're like, you're the principal. I'm like, yes, I'm the principal. It matters for my Somali and Black students to see me. And it matters just as much, if not more, for the white kids to see someone like me as the principal of their building. So they understand that there isn't one, leadership isn't just for one type of community. And that the Somali community and any community deserves a chance to have access to these positions because we can lead. And we can lead not just people that look like me, but all children. I just love what you just said. I mean, it has brought me so much joy in my heart. I'm looking at my fellow uh, crew members. Everyone is smiling as well. Um, I'll say this really briefly because I know I know the crew wants to step in and, and weigh in as well. I didn't have someone who looked like me in any teaching role until I was in college. So the fact that you can walk the halls and these young children, students can see that is so empowering, first and foremost. But well, I, I also want to acknowledge and call out how it is feeding your soul and how it is enriching you as a leader, right? So there is that reverse mentoring, that reverse benefit that they are giving to you and bringing you joy and growth and inspiration to continue to do your work. Uh, for for your students as well. We're going to get into your vision and 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 everything in just a little bit, but I want to hear from the crew what's coming up for them as we start the conversation. Jump in, folks. So I'm gonna start. I'm gonna jump in first, just because um, <clears throat> some of the folks that you had talked about in terms of forming your own identity as an educator have been formative in my own experience. Um, I brother brother Kasim is part of my spiritual call. To become a pastor, um, and 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 so was Miss um, Abdurazak. So was um, and Brother Kasim's work with particularly around men and particularly around um, you know dealing with our own trauma, the stuff you know un unlifting and 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 taking off the weight that dominant culture puts on you has been a, a formative piece of my own call. Um, you know, uh, I ain't going to hate on them for being a member of uh, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. I'm a capital, but that's all right. That's another conversation. But but the other piece that comes to me, the, what you said about walking the halls, walking the halls and being able to say, you know, have folks be able to say, hi, Bia, and, and, and have that that immediate connection. I can, I, I can't pick, this is, this is the challenging part. I can't picture a moment in my educational space where... It was normed for me to be so connected to community that I can use the community terms only only for a small little bit when Dr. Dolores Henderson was was my principal for a hot minute at Rondo Education uh, Center. But other than that, it was always outside. Community was always outside, and I I, I just you asked the question to to reflect loose, and and that's the thing that's coming up for me. I'm I'm simultaneously jealous and proud, and I just can't stop smiling that some kids are going to get that experience, and 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 just need to offer. Hey, Sharice knows me from community, but anything you need, anything you need, hobby guy, I <laughs> call me, let me know, I will roll through. You just just you just give me a call. I love it. Don, what's coming up for you, my friend? Well, you know, the thing that, for whatever reason, that what, what resonated with me, I mean, the entire introduction and, and background was fantastic because I have questions all over the place, being a social worker. And I know, I know how in social work we can end up in so many different things. But 
you sharing your experience um, coming through school. You are a young, beautiful, strong woman. But to hear you say that after achieving this education, you still didn't have that confidence in yourself, right? You, you, and to me, and you've been here since 96, but to me, that resonates with, I think, all our students of color, regardless of what their backgrounds are. I'm biracial, Native American and African American. So the, the um, going through our educational system, where we very seldom had individuals that looked like us, let alone, let alone could relate to who we were as individuals, was non-existent. So for us to make it through those educational systems, many of us were successful to make it through, but it didn't leave us with a sense of pride, with, with a, a confidence that you said you were lacking even after completing that. And I thought that resonated because a couple of weeks ago, we had the principal from Central here. And we were talking about that type of dynamic how our educational systems are still failing our children, our brown and black children, because um, it it doesn't instill in them that sense of community. They don't feel like they belong. Essentially, is that's what I heard you say. And so, you know, I I hate you know for me, <laughs> for me, as you were as you were relating that, it reminded me of a little incident that happened with a nephew of mine. In one of my previous positions, I was commissioner of health and human services for the Mille Lacs Band of where I'm enrolled. I'm a member of that. And so I had the opportunity to work for my own tribe, my own people. And my nephew was there with my, my younger sister. And I'm, so he asked me if I worked there. And so I just kind of, yeah, I was joking around with him. He was like nine, 10 years old. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm the head honcho here. And he said, oh, you the janitor? And he was dead serious. I mean, so, you know, to me, that's a reverse of. Well, that's of, what success looked like for him, right? But I, that's what I'm yeah. saying. You know, yeah. that was, to me, when, when you were describing your experience, that is what our children end up looking at or, uh, you know, because I'm sure for him, there was a black janitor in school. For me, if we did see a black person in the building, it usually was on the custodial staff. So, and I, I also have to ask how, you know, I'm a social worker, you were a social worker, and we both end up in education. How the heck did that happen? <laughs> People with, with big hearts and brilliant minds, uh, Don, both you and... And Salma, right? That's what, what I take from it. Um, Haley, what's coming up for you, my dear? I have, you know, uh, Luz, you had mentioned, you had mentioned it took you until, you know, after high school to have a first teacher who looked like you. And it made me think back. And I missed out on all the great Hmong teachers. But I do remember that there was like a Hmong, um, like she was a teacher's assistant or might even have been. Uh, a teacher, I can't quite remember, in my kindergarten, and it was a big deal. And we, and she was also related to us, so when we'd see her at family gatherings, it was like, 
oh, she's so cool. She's here, you know? And then, and then I never did again. I don't think I even had an Asian teacher that entire after that. So it never really occurred to me what it would feel like to see somebody like me when I was a kid in school as the principal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I also went to a lot of schools where we didn't know who the principal was. Like we never saw them. <laughs> and so, and even in high school, we, we, you know, I couldn't pick her out of a crowd. And so like hearing uh, both Charisse, who is the central's uh, principal that we had on the other week, um, and hearing what you're saying, Selma, is like, is very foreign to me in that I thought those are the only, I thought those only happened in the movies. Like, mm. I think I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I have picked up so many things where I thought it was only in the movies. So <laughs> it made me feel like, you know, wow, that's, I thought that was something that only happened in the movies where the, te- the principal is just in the hallway with the kids all the time because I never saw that. You know, Lee, when, when you're speaking, what, what comes up for me, as well as when Don and Anthony were sharing their comments, is the importance of belonging and how we can't overstate the importance of that in our souls and the joy that it brings our hearts in ways that is deep-seated, right? And when we don't have that belonging, we're othered. And I mean, that's a big part of what DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion training is about, right? Is that othering um, and trying to have pivot from that, right? And so the pivot would be, of course, belonging and, and feeling that you are part of this without having to do anything with just being, right? Just existing. And you, Salma, even if you don't have any conversations with the child or children on any given day, I would venture to say that just seeing you walking down the hallway or seeing your name outside posted on the principal's office is enough to re- reinforce that belonging in their heart that will be A, immeasurable, B, unforgettable, and C, just impactful beyond what our collective beliefs and imaginations can hold for us as we as we speak today. So Salma, what are your thoughts as, as you hear our, our uh, responses? And we also wanna know what your vision is for your school. I mean, as a principal, you're CEO of the school that you are ahead of, right? And so you have all kind of responsibilities uh, for the day-to-day operation, but you also have responsibilities for long-term growth and long-term operations for the, or- for the school. Uh, and we seldom hear that necessarily, right? Uh, in community. So, so A, uh, you know, give us what your reactions were and, and hearing, uh, you know, the comments from the crew here. Uh, and also lift it up one, one from there, one step higher, uh, and talk about what your vision is for, for the school. Definitely. First of all, I'd love to join this team and just be part of these conversations because you all are just amazing. Um, we'd love to have you anytime. (laughs) Yes. The universe is just incredible. I was supposed to work with, uh, Principal Ayers. I was at Central High School and Principal Ayers was joining. And, um, this opportunity at Gideon Pond Elementary opened up and all of my experience has really been at the high school level. Prior to Central, I was at South High School in Minneapolis, just loving on those children. 
And um, just having a four and a six-year-old, I saw, I saw what could happen for children if we love them earlier, right? If schools became a place where we build up children, I really believe in restorative justice. I believe that children will make mistakes and that when they make mistakes, we need to hold space for them, to support them, to love them, to help them understand that they did something bad, but it doesn't mean that they are bad. Um, so when this opportunity at Gideon Pond Elementary opened up, I didn't really think I was going to get the job because all of my experience was secondary. But God, I believe in God. Um, God had a plan for me. And I came in and I just, you know, they have like this um, panel interview. So I was interviewing with three other people that were interested in the same job and just coming from a collective culture. I was like, this is cool. We just get to have a conversation about, you know, what our visions are. And every step of the way, it just felt really easy uh, to be able to just talk about my love for children and how I want children to feel good about who they are, to feel good about their identity. So as you all talk about, you know, how my introduction made you feel, it just really affirms me to keep going that I don't have to be like anybody else, that who I am, and just having this crystal clear vision of facilitating love and strength-based systems transformation. That's what I want to do in K-12 education. I want every child to feel whole. And I want my teachers, who are mostly white, to also feel whole. And I want us to talk about race. And I want us to talk about white privilege. I want us to talk about white fragility and how it's showing up in our building Um, and just letting people know like we can do bad things and we do end up doing some bad things. And when we acknowledge those bad things, we need to disrupt those bad things. And it doesn't mean that Sama Hussein is a bad person. It just means I've done some bad things, right? And the system of education is a broken system. And I keep reminding people just because the system is broken does not mean that we have to be broken too. And Donald, I love that you're in social work. I went into that first information session where they talked about creating a just society. And I said, yes. And they talked about how I should work myself out of a job. And I said, yes. Growing up low income myself, I said, yes. And the longer I stayed in social work, the more that it became apparent to me that we were managing inequities and not eliminating inequities. And that's I had an issue with, hence why I decided to step into leadership. And even now in leadership, I would love to do more of eliminating these inequities. I don't want to manage and keep people in bad situations. Um, And now bringing it back to my leadership here at Gideon Pond Elementary, my vision and my commitment, I really want every single student at Gideon Pond Elementary to know and to feel that they are loved and supported by every single staff member in our building. That's my measure of success. It's about love and it's about belonging. Um, And that is what's on our school website. When you read my introduction, I want every kid to feel love and belonging. So I walk the hallways, I go to recess, and growing up, I played football, so the kids are just so impressed by how far I can throw the football. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I play, yeah, and I play basketball you with know, the kids. You know, you know, I'm just human, and they see that. It's about relationships. You, you know what I love about what you just said is is you you lay out the work of actually making all feel welcome. 
mm-hmm. which I think often gets lost in the talking points that we're often fighting with folks who would actually rather see us not talk about and lay out the things that you spoke to, um, from fragility to to discourse around race, you know. Um, and 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 it's not lost on me that you're in a space in Burnsville where um, we have seen a lot of these talking points proliferate with certain communities. Now we've also seen resistance to it too. That's clear, you know. But but what I love about what you what you laid out is is it's hard to listen to what you just said and see in that anything divisive. It's quite the opposite. And 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 I love that you point out that that dealing with it and, and putting those issues right on the table are actually something that benefits all kids. Um, and this is something that often gets lost in the conversation. And so one of my questions uh, for you is, you know, that's that in some cases, you know, in, in Minneapolis and in St. Paul, that might not necessarily come off as a bold statement. Um, that strikes me very, <laughs> as, as some folks in Birchville might look at that as a bold thing to, to, to lay out in front of us. And so I'm just curious, you know, as you, as you lay that out, what are some of the areas that that you see folks really, you know, really galvanizing or jumping on to, to that message that you're laying out? That is a really good question. Um, I believe that a lot of the people here at Gideon Pond Elementary, they're very, very excited to have me as their principal. Um, and I'm excited to be here too. Um, and they're excited for the opportunity to, to, get a different, a different, a different perspective, a different experience. Um, I come in as a Somali woman every day to school. um, And I tell folks, Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in assimilating. Um, I have had to Mm. do that throughout my educational experience. And now as a 34 year old, I'm good. I'm going to grow because I believe in growth mindset. And who I am culturally. Like, I know that my culture is dope. I know that my uh, native tongue is amazing. I know that my faith makes me who I am. So I don't have to bargain for acceptance. And I'm not asking for acceptance. Like, I belong. I'm here. I am the principal. And it in Burnsville, where I am the first Somali principal, people have asked me, do you think being Somali was why you became, you were selected as principal? And I'm like, no, you're not going to dim my light. I got this job because I'm highly qualified. And Thank it's, you. And it's a plus Come that on. I am Somali. It's a plus. Now, now, whatever you want to think, that's on you. But I, none of that is going to stick. I'm here. I've got a purpose. And that purpose is to serve, is to protect, is to love, is to build up the characters of the children here. Um, and also to partner with the white folks that I, you know, that are my staff and letting them know, like, we don't have to be against each other. Like, we're in this together. We're a community. And to be a community requires us to stay in dialogue and to have conversations and to commit to growing, commit to being vulnerable. Um, one of the first things that I did with my staff is I told them, hey, I have anxiety. You know, in my community, mental health, there's a big stigma around mental health. And I believe that in order to reduce the stigma around mental health, it's important to give a face to mental health. So I told my staff, like, I've got anxiety. And when that anxiety shows up, you're going to see it. And when you see my anxiety, I ask for grace. And by being vulnerable, my staff have started to be vulnerable too. It has created a culture where we can be our whole selves, where we don't have to pretend to be perfect. We're not aiming for perfection. We're aiming for growth. 
and we're aiming to to be our whole selves. So it's really been a great opportunity just to lead with compassion, to lead with love, to lead with my strength, and then also model to the kids. I'm the principal and public speaking gives me anxiety. And they're like, you're nervous? I'm like, yeah, I'm nervous, but I can do hard things. Look at me, I'm up here, I'm doing it. And if I can do it, you can do it better. So it personalizes um, education and it lets them know that Auntie Selma is human and I am human and I can do this too. So she just says so many profound things and, and, um, you know, but as you were talking and as you were sharing, you know, there, again, there was, there are certain things that jump out and, 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 um, but I was just thinking about Burnsville, Burnsville itself. And so I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest one of the crew here of, of, of counter stories. And so I was at, I remember in, uh, in 1972, the year I was graduating from high school, we were still go, still going through integration, right? They were still integrating schools, but Burnsville, um, Burnsville had a brand new high school. And to be quite honest with you, I had never really heard of Burnsville until we went out to the high school. We competed out there in track. But they, but there was this exchange. Well, there there was a one day program where a bunch of us students from Minneapolis Central, I went to Minneapolis Central, uh, and we went out and spent a half day out at Burnsville High School. And Burnsville at that time was all white, and it was still being developed. the 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 uh, The suburb itself was still being developed. It was still a lot of farmland out there, and um, but. In 1972, I had a big afro, a very big afro, which astounded the white students because I don't think they had ever seen an afro like that because reports came back to me that by the time the students saw me walking down the the, the hallway, um, they started calling me Half Moon because of my, my afro. And I don't know why that always kind of stuck with me, but to hear... You know, all these years later, you know, 50-something years later that we we have, um, Burnsville now has their first Somali principal, I think is very incredible. But the underlying, you know, the underlying um, threads that you were weaving in, in what you were informing us inform me that there are still so, so much work left. And I think I think that um, the students who will benefit by having you there um, won't realize that until later, right? They won't really realize that that it it was to their benefit to have someone like you in a leadership role for them to see that and witness it. But the ones I think that might might, and I say might benefit the most are your your white faculty staff and because to me they are they are that cog that in our educational systems help determine whether or not our children will have that confidence coming through those systems if you know what i'm talking about and you have touched on some subjects that we very seldom hear coming out of burnsville in terms of white fragility, um, white privilege, 
And so, you know, those, I think, and, and the way that you've woven those in your mission, I think it disarms individuals, if that makes sense. It right? does. I think that's that social worker in you, right? And so, and that comes through. <laughs> and and um, so you know, I there there's so much in there um, that uh, you know, and I think that that we need to have you come back. I mean, we're I we're know we're close to having the end of this discussion, but we need to have you come back to see what the experience was like. You know what I mean? After you've been here for a bit. I love that idea, Don. Yeah, I love that. You know, the other thing that comes up for me is the similarities between you and Principal Sharice from Central High School in St. Paul, where when you think about how you approach the children, the students, you you both have a very similar approach, which is to approach them with love, right? And we think about... Um, how important that is, and, and maybe you can speak to this as to the why. Is that your social work training? What's driving you? But I reflect on how different that is uh, compared to how I was raised in school by the school system. Um, and I was raised in a Catholic grade school and a Catholic high school, not because we were overly Catholic, but because my parents, who are both from Mexico, saw the education system in the U.S. as filled with promiscuity. And so they wanted to protect their daughters from a very promiscuous environment. And the way that they thought it was appropriate was to enroll us in, in Catholic uh, schools. So very, uh, it was very punitive in nature. Uh, you know, I mean, there were still uh, nuns that would hit you, um, physically, you know, with rulers and, and even across the face with their hands. Um, and I think about how different that is than what you're saying in terms of loving the children and not being defined by one mistake or multiple mistakes in school. I mean, how many of us made plenty of mistakes in school and not to be defined by it, but somehow society has a tendency to define brown and black and indigenous people by their mistakes rather than by their potential. So if you can speak to that in terms of the importance of, of having that mindset and that approach. Um, and I know I'll say one more thing along those lines. I read recently um, material about how much more beneficial it is for children to learn coming from a disciplinary situation uh, out of love versus out of shame. Because if you think about it, when any one of us does something wrong and we're reprimanded in whatever sphere we might be, whether in the workplace or socially or in your family, when you're in a place of shame, you're not open to learning, right? It's very, very different than being in a place from love. So we want to hear from you uh, you know, what comes up for you as, as, as I pose that question to you in terms of interacting with children from a place of love uh, rather than uh, putting them in this punitive uh, place that they're functioning from a place of shame? I appreciate you. That's a really good question. And on my desk, I've got Dr. Bettina Love. That is her last name. Um, her book, We Want to Do More Than Survive. 
abolitionist teaching. Come on, teaching. with that North Star knowledge. Come on. Yep, abolition <laughs> teaching and the pursuit of educational freedom. For me, you know, just going through the education system, I feel like I needed a champion, someone who could tell me, like I grew up in public housing, someone that would tell me, like Selma, like this is the best that your mom and dad can do at this time. And it doesn't determine the trajectory of your life. It doesn't determine your worth. I didn't have that growing up. I would come home and watch Seventh Heaven and see, you know, white folks on TV. Everything I watched was just every every sort of example that I had was not anyone that looked like me. So even for enjoyment, I was reminded that I was othered. So for me, the education of young people, especially young people of color, is to support them in knowing that they are whole human being. And another social worker, Dr. Brene Brown, um, who has helped me understand the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt, I did something bad. And shame, I am bad. And I don't ever want any kid or anybody to feel that they are bad because they're not bad. Like we're all good people and we make mistakes. And how do we create space where we can give each other grace and where people can commit to doing better and being better? And even today, I was out at recess and one of the kids was like, you're the principal. So are you the principal to suspend children? And I was like, "Um, no. Like, I haven't suspended anybody, and I don't plan on suspending anybody. And I made my office really beautiful, and I've got fidgets that I give out to kids. I'm like, I love. Like, I'm not here to punish you. I want to make sure that your experience at Gideon Pond is a great experience where you feel whole, where you feel seen, where you feel valued, and where you experience success and educational success. And I'm proud to say that long before I came to Gideon Pond, the staff here have worked really, really hard to produce education success for our students. Like if you go to MDE and you look at the data, you'll see that our students perform very, very high uh, compared to like state average. Um, So love again, when young people know that they are loved, they are able to learn. When young people, I sit down with the children and help them understand why their actions impact the community, they're able to take that responsibility and have that understanding to do better and be better. It's about education. I told my staff at the beginning of the year when we had workshop week, we are going to give kids a first chance, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, however many chances they need to understand. And we are not going to push kids out of the classroom. We're going to push into the classroom and keep kids in the classroom as much as possible. And folks, you know, they're like, okay, who... Like, what What are you about? I'm like, I'm, I'll be there. I'm not going to tell someone else to go deal with the kid. I will invest the time in getting to know the kid. And we have seen improvements in some of our kids who have really struggled because every time when my kids come into this building and they come into my office, I tell them, you are beautiful. I love you. Like, this is a kid that just create a behavior situation out there. And I'm like, I love you. And I mean it. I've got a little daughter, Sophia, and I've got Adnan. And I hope that people at the schools that they go to love them and give them that chance and see their humanity because these are some people's children. Um, so love for me, by loving the children, I'm able to love myself and I'm able to heal as well. Again, it's it's for me as much as it's for them. When I have a little girl look at me and say, you're the best principal 
Like I, it, it touches me. Um, and it, it's been a pretty transformational experience. And again, just having that personal mission statement has really helped me. I want to facilitate my purpose is facilitating love and strength-based systems transformation. And, you know, we were talking about Burnsville for a while. I grew up in Minneapolis and in Minneapolis, I didn't get the chance to be a principal in Minneapolis. So that's part of my story that I have shared when I ended up getting my admin license and I wanted to work in Minneapolis public schools, I didn't get the chance. I interviewed for a lot of positions and I didn't get the opportunity. And luckily though, God had a plan for me to get an opportunity in Burnsville, um, actually at Central High School to work with a Hmong principal. It was a Hmong woman, Principal Christine Vang, and a sister from Nigeria named Dr. Egbamu who interviewed me for my first assistant principalship. And it was two women of color who gave me that first yes to begin my leadership journey. It took two women of color to give me that yes that I needed. We get things done. We get things done. We do. We really do. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> That's, That's right. right. That's, That's right. right. You know, you know, I, I, I sit, sit here, here and, and, and I'm wondering if, if this, this is going, going through the minds of, of the rest of the crew and our audience. audience. I wish I were in your school right now. I, I wish I was in your school, school as a student. student. Um, um, you know, I wish I could rewind uh, and turn back the hands of time and be a student there um, because of all the reasons that, that you have stated, you know, and how powerful of an environment that is being created uh, and just a shift in the way uh, that the culture is being framed and created there is really transformational. And uh, kudos to you for your leadership on that. So school just started a couple of weeks ago. Um, what was it like that first day? Were, were kids surprised to see you? Were they like, wow, who's this? You look like me. Did you have any of those interactions on that first day of school? You know, we keep saying... Because you must have been nervous, too. <laughs> we, I keep hearing the comments that... that um, Well, and, and correct me, but are there other Somali students in Burnsville schools? Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. I think there's somewhere See? like 40%, almost almost half is a, the CBS article that was done said 40%. Wow, so... So Burnsville's really changed significantly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm the one who needs to get up to date. <laughs> you got some homework to do there, Don. I got, I got some homework to do because I keep hearing children that, you know, children that look like me. And I'm going, wait a minute, we're talking about Burnsville. You know? Yeah, and the community, they're buying homes here. They've got a thriving uh, Somali community here. Um, and I learned about Burnsville through a CARE 11 um, report of this incredible white gentleman who you all should invite to this podcast. His name is Dr. Chris Belmont and Hodefi. Um, and Hodefi worked at Gideon Pond as an educational store, um, educational assistant. And it was a story about their friendship and the way in which they were supporting the community and getting kids access to a great education. Um, but for me, the first day, it was, I was anxious. Uh, as I told you all, I, I live with anxiety. Um, but I was really excited. It was like a first day of school for me. I 
ended up going shopping with my sister for my first day of school outfit. <laughs> I ended up getting henna done because I knew the young ladies would get their henna. It just felt really cool. And then I also had media following me around because they wanted to see what the first day of school looked like. And I was like, man, I did not like... Like, this is an opportunity to capitalize on, to tell the story of our school and to representation matters. But I'm like, I'm about the children. I just want to connect with the kids. I don't, like, I don't want to have the camera following around. But I had an incredible uh, sister who works for the Star Tribune. Her name is Lisa Flores. She is incredible. She just got amazing uh, photos of that day. Um, and it was just incredible. The community, the children were hugging me. And that was the first time we met. They were hugging me. They're like, you're the new principal. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. And I high-fived some of the kids. And one of the kids, his mom owns the store. And I was wearing her dress. And he recognized the dress. And he's like, is that my mom's dress? And I was like, yep, it is. <laughs> he's like, it, it looks nice. <laughs> so honestly, it was an incredible experience of just connecting with the kids um, just setting that tone of being visible, right? I also, throughout my educational experience, I don't remember any of my principals, quite honestly. I think they were probably busy doing paperwork. Um, but for me, I keep telling folks, I'm about relationships. I want to be with the children. And not only when cameras are around, but all the time. Like I go out to recess. I go to lunch duties because I want to, not because I have to, because relationships happen in the cafeteria. They happen in the hallway. Mm -hmm. um, just today we had picture day and I get given all the kids compliments like, whoa, look at your hair. Look at your outfit. You look beautiful. And what that does for the young person of building confidence, like, oh, I feel I'm seen uh, and I'm seen for who I am. It matters. So first day of school was special. Uh, families were kind. Children were kind. I got a lot of hugs. Um, we ended up getting on the front page of the Star Tribune, me and the little guy whose mom's dress I was wearing. We high-fived, and it was just a magical photo. It's one of my favorite photos, too. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really special. Mm. This is this is a powerful, powerful thing. I mean, the Burnsville, Rosemount, Apple Valley have, um, there's a lot of interactions there as as communities of color continue to grow out that way. If we think back to 2001 and the way that the West Metro was growing, I mean, Robbinsdale is, is now ubiquitous for being a place for folks of color. That was not the case in, you know, you know, in 1998. And, and we saw the Western suburbs begin to sprawl and change demographically in leaps and bounds, with the exception of Edina, you know, James Lowen's Sundown Towns book. But, you know, you know, Eden Prairie, you know, the the populations of 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 Somali folks that were going to Eden Eden Prairie. So, you know, I think I think we we often lose sight of the demographic changes that are happening around around us um, as we as we, you know, just assume that our past experiences um, you know, are gonna proliferate. At the same time, <laughs> At the same time, this definitely comes at the mark. Change is difficult. And so while I'm glad and pleased to hear that a whole bunch of folks are are treating you with kindness and that you're able to, to showcase uh the the human the, the womanity of of uh that we can embrace, um I, I I have to imagine that there are some folks who just don't have a language for or an experience to to capture what this means. They may not even see the importance of 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 
uh, is that my mom's dress or 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 even even you know getting to call you auntie in in the hallway and so what are some of your th- what, what what's coming through your head as you as you as you think about those folks who you know to to put it i can't think of any other way to put it but who who have not received this idea of love if 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 i am if i remember my somali friends correctly the somali word for teacher is similar in translation to second parent and so, you know, there's that assumption, you know, that there's that thing that's part of the culture. So you not only have simultaneously the task of representing and creating the new space, but also having to, as a master educator, educate a community who doesn't even know how to how to humanize in that particular way. So I, I, I'm just curious, you know, what what are some of your hopes and dreams for that part of the of of your work that we haven't even got to yet? Mm, wow, that's an incredible question. Um, you know, I know that it's not all a celebration. I know, um, it's a challenge and just a quick example, my, when I first got this job, I ended up being invited like a media opportunity to be interviewed. And I remember just being really excited and telling my husband, Jeremy, Hey, I've got this interview. I'm just so excited. And Jeremy's not in education, but he listens to me and supports me. And he's like, cool. So I went into work on Monday, excited for the interview. I wore a really nice outfit. And the interviewer just had all sorts of questions that didn't really, you know, that weren't very supportive. They they asked about my age. They asked about what year I graduated high school. They said, okay, you're coming from Central and now you're here. That's not a linear path. You know, is it possible that you were selected because you're Somali? And I remember just going home and just telling my husband, I'm like, man, Jeremy, that interview, it didn't go as I expected. And he said, Sama, you can't expect everybody to celebrate you. And that was all I needed, honestly, to be reminded that I'm not here to to be liked, although I am a recovering people pleaser. And I think just, you know, growing up in Minnesota, <laughs> growing up in Minnesota and being a person of color, I think we end up becoming people pleasers. And now as a more confident uh, woman uh, and mother, just being a mother has really helped me become more confident. I just I'm not seeking approval I really, I know my purpose and my purpose is to support the children, to support my staff and to name a thing a thing and do it with compassion and love. Like I'm not interested in othering people because it's been done to me. I want people to know you belong here and I need you to get to work on behalf of our children and I need you to check your bias and I need you to do the work, the continuous work to be anti-racist, to be a good human being, to love children right? And to really love them. I live on Twitter sometimes, and there was an educational conversation happening about, do good teachers need to love their children? And a lot of people were saying no. I'm like, no, you don't need to love. I like, I don't love my children. I don't love the students, but I do a good job, and I'm a good teacher. And I'm like, ah, oh, to me, love is care. You've got to care about the children. Ooh. And if you don't care about the children, then they know and they feel it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, mm-hmm. it's being the best that I can be and being kind to myself as much as possible, knowing that I don't represent the entire Somali community. Um, I am Sama Hussein. I am Somali. And while we celebrate me being the first Somali woman, we've got to also examine why it took this long. 
Why hasn't there been opportunities for people to be in leadership? Why wasn't I given the opportunity in Minneapolis to be a leader where I had graduated Mm. and where I had learned English? Mm -hmm. And I'm not looking for a job in Minneapolis now, hence why I'm able to confidently name it. But it's just Mm -hmm. all the systems need to do better and be better. Um, And as we celebrate, you know, the first this and that, we also have to talk about that narrative of why. Like, why did it take this long? And what can we do differently um, to ensure that I'm not the only person that there are opportunities for other folks to get uh, access? And just last story, one of my students, her mom is a teacher. And she's like, Miss Selma, my mom is going to be the second Somali female principal in 191. (laughs) <laughs> and it was just oh, so incredible. Oh, I'm like, I'm like okay, I believe you. <laughs> it was beautiful. You're, you're hitting on the, the last question that I wanted to pose to you, which is, yes, you've blazed this path. You've blazed this trail as the first, but we know you don't want to be the only. So, And I imagine that aside from the, the example you just shared with us that uh, you already have a student whose mom is is wanting to emulate and following your st- footsteps. I would imagine that there are many, many other Somali uh, women and, and men looking to, to also emulate you, right? And so what does that look like for you in terms of uh, your role, for one, but also not wanting to be the only, of course, uh, and how community as a whole can be in support of that venture. Because I don't see that as you having to carry that weight by yourself. And too often that's what happens, right? Uh, we want to be able to make sure that folks who want to support you know how to support you and uh, being able to open that conversation up for them here for, for that. So if you can step into that and, and then we're going to close it off uh, because we, we're coming here on time. Definitely. The way that people can support me is by supporting the children, um, invest in our community um, every Wednesday, unless I have class like I do tonight. Um, I go out into the Cedar Riverside neighborhood where I uh, play basketball. And I've been doing this until since like 2008 way before I uh, became a mother and met my husband. But it's been one way for me to give back to my community. And the more successful I become, the more I love my community. And I appreciate and have a better understanding for the struggle that I experienced growing up. So for listeners that are listening, uh, our young people need to see us. Uh, They need to see us in schools. If you're able to volunteer at a career panel, do that. If you can Come to Gideon Pond and volunteer to read to the children. Do that. We're always looking for folks to help us with, um, with, with different activities. The high school, Burnsville High School, Donald, you talked about, um, they could use beautiful people supporting our high school kiddos as they navigate and get ready for that next step. Just yesterday, I was at Burnsville High School and the young people were like, you're the principal. I'm like, yeah, we can be successful and we can be in education. We need you to come back here and work in our schools to support our young people in being the best that they can be. I remember my immigrant parents, they wanted me to be successful. And the one way that they thought success looked like was by being a doctor. And I wasn't good at math or science, but I was really good at caring about people. And I went through the U of M and had 
people who were advisors, but maybe they were just too busy to really get to know me. So they just gave me a catalog and told me to take this class and I wasn't able to make the connection. So I almost flunked out of college. But again, my family did an intervention style meeting and they said, get it together, Sama. And it was at that time that I decided to make my own major of public health, youth studies and leadership studies. And that's when I started to find meaning and joy and experience success and navigate a predominantly white institution and leave with a college degree. Um, so for listeners, get involved. Um, for listeners who have young people in your life, let them know that they're amazing. Let them know that they are whole. Let them know that the experiences, their challenges, it doesn't define their worth, that it's systemic. When we struggle, we're not struggling because we're not trying hard enough. We're struggling because the system was created to keep us down and just understanding that has helped me, has given me liberation. And I believe the Somali community, we are learning and we are becoming better neighbors and better friends and better community members to our African-American brothers and sisters. White supremacy wants communities of color, especially Somali community and African-American community to have this tension. Like growing up, I kept hearing the Somalis don't like African-Americans, African-Americans don't like Somalis. And now I'm like, no, that's not true. Individual people may have problems, um, but we're, we've got a lot of ex like similarities. So it's just important for us to engage in dialogue and engage in community. I love how diverse you all are and how you are holding space. And like in our cultures, we are storytellers. We need spaces to be able to talk. And it is through talking that I have been able to heal um, and be confident and not let anxiety prevent me from speaking my truth and showing up in the ways that I am able to show up for the kids at Gideon Pond Elementary. It's beautiful. Thank you. You know, I had a profound quote, but but I like this one better. So I was going to talk about our futures ahead of us and ancestors behind us. There's nothing we can do. But you, I like this one better as it relates to you, uh, Sister Sama. Uh, black fact number 56. Black women are 10 times more likely to do the damn thing. From Courtney Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> That's right. Mic drop. Sama, we have so enjoyed our time together with you. You have an open invitation to come back. And to follow up on Don's suggestion, we really want to know how it's going for you a year from now. But don't be a stranger. It shouldn't take a year for you to come back and update us. We are wishing you the very best in this new journey of yours. This has been Counter Stories, a program by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and VP of Programming for Ampers. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malax Banner Ojibwe Indians. And our special guest, Salma Hussein, principal at Gideon Pond Elementary. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. <laughs>